and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What? You came to church today thinking we would be hearing stories about the angel announcements of babies born, the song of a brown-skinned teenage pregnant mother proclaiming her joy of God's choosing her, or perhaps a story of a faithful man betrothed who is now pregnant, not by him, Fiance. Nope, not today. As today is the first Sunday of Advent, and as we follow the assigned reading, today we hear about distress and fear and foreboding. It's a far cry of what we tend to expect when we're coming up on Christmas, right? Well, let me be the first to wish you a Happy New Year. Today is the first Sunday of the Christian year. It is the beginning of the Christian calendar, and um, and it marks this new beginning for us. Now, you might think that the year would begin with the trumpets of Easter, or the softness of Christmas Eve, or even the fires of Pentecost, but instead, we begin in the shadows. We begin in the shadows of despair, and war, and sorrow, We hear Jesus teaching his disciples about the coming of the human one and can't help but think of what Christians have long called the second coming. And it's not pretty. And that causes us to go straight to the idea of apocalypse, doesn't it? And when we go straight there to the revelation of John and the apocalypse, yet consider that it's precisely here in the shadows of despair destruction and distress, that God's grace arrives. It is here, in these darkening days and long nights, that God's church is called to light candles of hope, peace, joy, and love. It is here, as the Christian New Year begins, we come together in a place of belonging, and enter the darkness actively waiting, actively singing, actively praying for God's light to overwhelm the world. It is also here that the first coming of Jesus at his birth is paired with the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age. You see, people who put together the assigned readings, they knew what we do. What we knew as Christians is that every year we tell the story of the birth of Jesus and celebrate that. And we tell it like we've never heard it before, right? We, we kind of relive this special event as if it hadn't happened. And 
it's called anamnesis. It's called remembering or reminiscing. Um, it's a way of re-remembering. And so this remembrance, this reminiscence, is rightly paired with the story of Jesus coming to us again a second time. In both cases, we are invited to wait and watch for this human one who will enter our world in sudden and unexpected ways. Of course, waiting and watching are not things we are particularly good at right now, are we? Let's confess. We're good at doing fast pace. We're good at being frenetic. We're good at consumer culture, where we do our best to avoid the problems facing us. So what are we to make of this unusual gospel meeting that has been assigned for the first Sunday of Advent as we begin our journey to Bethlehem and the manger? As we begin our journey of hope for the coming life. This week's gospel reading is found just before Jesus' passion and resurrection, which may explain the dire-sounding predictions. Jesus, you see, has ridden into Jerusalem with palm branches and shouts heralding his arrival. And when arriving, he goes into the temple where he promptly, in an act of street theater, overturns the tables of those selling their wares and changing their coins of Caesar into temple coins. And when he is rejected by the temple authorities, he goes outside to teach. If, if they won't hear him on the inside, he goes outside and teaches the people with an especial attention to his disciples. And as he teaches, they watch as a widow comes forward with her two copper coins and puts them into the treasury, which we tend to herald her for, but Jesus was more interested in the fact that she was poor. And the disciples ask, well, when is all this destruction going to happen? You see, Jesus has told them that the temple is going to collapse. And they're, they're like, when is this going to happen? And Jesus cautions them, when you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. And then we hear, they Jesus continues teaching and the historic line of the prophets. And we tend to think of prophets as people who predict the future, but that was not his business. His business was to look at the here and now and say to people where we've gone off the rails, where we have missed the mark, and what might come of that. Now, the fact that the temple fell shortly after the resurrection of Jesus and was destroyed. Feels like a prediction, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly when Luke is writing, shortly after the destruction of the temple. And so this is all woven together in this very interesting, overlapping story in which Jesus is teaching in the temple. We hear today's reading, and and with a prophetic illustration of the coming of the human one. Now, in, in a lot of our Bibles, that, that title is the Son of Man, which was actually a title that was given to Caesar. And in most progressive translations now, uh, this, this Son of Man 
is actually um, the human one, the, the fully human one. And we also might say the fully divine one, as we have come to understand it in our Christian tradition. When death-dealing forces seem to have the upper hand, as they did when the Romans destroyed the Jerusalem temple, um, we need to remember that this was a literary response to envision an imminent divine rescue and a new era of justice and redemption. So it's all, it's not just all doom and gloom, it is to project into the future an understanding of justice and redemption. And Jesus tells a parable, a parable about a fig tree, which was an ancient symbol of life emerging out of death, because in the winter, have you seen a fig tree? They look dead. But it is only, only after the summer comes that they begin to put on leaves and then to bear fruit. And note that Jesus' language here is peppered with strikingly active verbs. We are to be on guard. We are to be alert at all times. And when we see the signs of new life and hope, we are to stand up and raise our heads because our redemption is near. This kind of language is called apocalyptic language, and we hear that as destruction, but you know, really, the word apocalypse is more rightly translated as uncovering, as revealing, and in essence, um, brings about an extravagant, evocative vision of hope when all hope seems now, I'll wager that we know about hope being lost, don't we? We have weathered isolation, disease, illness, and death. We have tolerated social isolation, mask wearing, the loss of community, the death of family and friends, the inability to effectually ritualize our sorrows, the loss of jobs and homes and family and friendships. And just when we thought it was safe to get back to normal, we encountered the Delta variant. And now, of course, the Omicron variant. We watched with horror as our nation's capital came under attack, and with no less horror as violence against each other has erupted with a force we once thought was impossible in our democracy. We have wondered individually and collectively, when will this end? And have joined the song of the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long? Oh yes, you and I know all about hope. Reading these stunning, challenging passages during Advent, we may well think of Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, following his baptism's sojourn into the wilderness and his time there, arrives at his hometown of Nazareth. And taking the book of the prophet Isaiah, reads The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, 
simply to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in its own way, that reading is a hymn of apocalypse. It reveals how God is turning everything upside down, lifting the lowly, the captives, the oppressed. Even in his warnings in today's reading, Jesus is intent on ushering in a revolution of love and justice, a revolution of spirit and flesh, a revolution of good news, of great joy for all people, a continual commitment to hope in God's promise presence. What I want us to hear today, Jesus' words, the apocalyptic language of Jesus, are the important words of instructions. Stand up and raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Be alert at all times. Stand before the human one. And this requires our waiting and watching, and we're just not very good at that, but we had better try. As we enter the season of Advent, let's name what it's all about. It means that we willingly enter the shadows of despair. We actively wait and watch for Jesus to come. To remember Jesus' coming at his birth. To remember that he comes. He continues to come. As we light our candles of hope and peace, and joy, and love. Luke says in this passage that we first need to enter the shadows, those places where all hope seems lost. And then we must listen. We must listen alongside those who have been traumatized, those who are desperate, those who are refugees, those who are isolated prisoners, those who are heartbroken addicts and the sorrowful of the whole world, including you and me. You see, powerful people desecrate and destroy the temple, ruining the sacred heart of the world. Not just in the first century Palestine, but also here and now. And for you, your family, your family of choice, your friends, and our community today, we need to look square in the face at, at those desolate shadows that threaten to extinguish God's light because we may be the only thing standing in the way of that desolation and allowing the light to shine. Do you understand that? That we may be it. Once we've entered the shadows, then we can proclaim the good news, the hope that rings out amid the catastrophe. The essence of apocalypse, the pointing of what is revealed, is that God is continually on the way, turning the world upside down. And precisely because of this, all of us can be watchful and alert over the days and weeks ahead. We can cultivate mindful attention to signs of hope and wonder. And so, in this Advent season, waiting is dynamic. It's not waiting around. You know what I'm talking about? Waiting around. It's more about keeping watch and being ready. I've told this before, but I had to repeat it today. 
Bernard of Clairvaux, the 12th century abbot and theologian, wrote about three advents. The first, the incarnation, the advent, the coming of the light, the birth of Jesus at Christmas. The third is the parousia, the advent at the end of the age. And I just need to say something about that right now. This is a uniquely Lupin expression, the end of the age. It does not necessarily mean a cataclysmic end of the world as we often think about it. But that in Jesus' birth, death and, re death and resurrection, we see a signaling of the dawn of the day of the Lord, and with it, a new creation. That is what I'm speaking about. Do you get that? That this is about the dawn of a new age. And then the second, or middle advent, the one in between these two, arrival of Jesus. You get that? The knock at the door. The still small voice. The people who need us. We who need that presence of Jesus. That is the second argument that Jesus is continually coming in every time we come to this table. Every time we come to this table. We proclaim that that presence is present in a way we don't fully understand, but is present. It is present in the meal. It is present as we gather together as a community. It is present as, as we belong to each other. This is the presence of the second and middle advent. This is our hope in the darkness. This is why we wait in a season of growing darkness in a speech delivered by United States Senator Ted Kennedy during the 1980 Democratic um, National Convention at Madison Square Garden in New York City, after he had lost the presidential nomination, he gave a speech, and in it we hear the echoes of the promise of God that gives us hope when hope seems lost. Here's what he said. And someday, long after this convention, long after the signs come down and the crowds stop cheering and the bands stop playing, may it be said of our campaign that we kept the faith. May it be said of our party in 1980 that we found our faith again. And may it be said of us, both in dark passages and in bright days, in the words of Tennyson that my brothers quoted in love, and that has special meaning for me now. I am part of all that I have met, though much is taken, much abides. That which we are, we are, one equal temper of heroic hearts, strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not For me, a few hours ago, this campaign came to an end. For all those whose cares have been our concern, the work goes on, the cause endures, the hope still lives, and the dream shall never die. May this 
hope in the darkness. And so for us as well. Amen.